Hello there. Where have you been all my life? I've been waiting for you. Thank you so much for showing up now, though, to download and listen to, hopefully, my podcast, my top ten. First guest is Carl Donnelly, um, and I'm very grateful to Carl for taking a chance and coming onto the podcast for its first episode. There's always going to be teething problems and gremlins that need to be ironed out, and a host who hasn't got a clue what they're doing. Uh, but I was very grateful to Carl for his patience and his professionalism, and I'm very much looking forward to the show he's putting together for Edinburgh this year. Uh, we talk about it in the podcast, as you'll hear, um, and it sounds very intriguing. Uh, that's enough of me already. I hope you're still listening. hope you're still listening. hope you're still listening, because here comes the show proper. just found him dead in his armchair. Welcome to this episode of my top 10. My guest this week is Carl Donnelly. How are you doing, Carl? Very well, thank you. Um, How would you describe your life in three sentences for those that don't know you? Uh, I am a stand-up comedian. I am a uh, London-based second-generation Irish man. Uh, And I am a married vegan. (laughs) Married vegan. <laughs> so I thought I'd squeeze those two into one sentence. And three career highlights for you. Um, three career highlights. One would be probably first time I yeah going to the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Like if comedy festivals, probably like as a stand up, you it's about getting to do things that you might not have ever thought you'd get to do, like Melbourne, Montreal, just for laughs, uh, and probably getting nominated for the Edinburgh Comedy Award in two thousand thirteen was a nice one. Nice, and you're going to Edinburgh this year. Is it your eleventh in a row? It's my eleventh in a row. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a stalwart of the fringe, which is uh, nice. Some people, oh, yeah, I love it up there. Though. Some people, some people get stressed about it and sort of love having a year off. But I sort of feel like it's just part of my year. It keeps me just writing new material. And on the subject of material, what material are we going to be covering today? What is your top ten on? Um, I've decided to go for my top ten horror films. Nice. Was, when you when I said it, I said it to you almost when you just said what would you like to do it on, I just I thought for about five minutes and then I was thinking could it be films, songs, whatever. But then I thought no horror films, uh, and then the moment I said that I got really excited about thinking about my favourite horror films because it's sort of a genre that I loved from a very young age, and I still do. But I feel like I've sort of gone off modern horror a bit. So this is sort of it captures a passion for, that was probably for about 15 years of my life and you've discounted a plethora of excellent films here so should we just have a quick run through of the ones that didn't make the list didn't make the list are they going to be ones like Jaws I've got very strict rules on what I what is a horror to me I know it's not up to me is it? it is up to you <laughs> oh, no, 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 the list is up to me but I mean I don't get to define what horror is 
But you do but, in terms of this list, you do so define. Um, what well, horror is to I think Donnelly? a good example would be like Jaws. Uh, I think has is, it covers a lot of genres. You know, so it was like the first blockbuster, wasn't it? It's a drama. It's a family drama. It's a, it's got all this other stuff. It also happens to be scary and unnerving. So that's why I think it is mentioned as a horror. But I, for me, I don't think it fits like the proper horror, which is just something. It's just out and out. You know, scary. Well, some people would have it that it's not even a film about a shark; that it's uh, an allegory to adultery. There we go. I mean, that is—is is that true? Is that a real theory? Yeah, yeah. I've never heard that theory, and it's one of my favourite films as well. I, I tried to look it up last night um, before I came to it. It's fresh in my mind. I think it's Mark Mode that's the main proponent of this sort of idea. So what? How? Um, so what? When? How does that work? What's well, the I think it's theory? more in the book um, as well. Uh, that all the people that were having affairs and were getting their jiggy on where they shouldn't be were the ones that died and were eaten. Right, um, that, that's good. That's a, yes, interesting. I've never read that. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a brilliant film. It's one of my favourites. I've seen it a few times on a big screen and it's so good. I saw it at the Royal Albert Hall with a live orchestra doing the music. Oh, wow. And it was just amazing. But yeah, for some reason it's just never sat as a horror film to me. So that, I wrote that off. Alien. Alien's regarded as one of the best horror films of all time. I still think it's sci-fi. You know, it's in space, mate. <laughs> you know, I know they sometimes cross, you know, there's like, there's a Friday the 13th film, I think it's Jason X in space, but it's still part of a horror franchise. So there's ones like that, things like Evil Dead 2, which right, I yeah. think is one of my favourite sort of horror films, but I think it's so funny as well that I always just put it just outside my list of favourite horrors because it's almost too much comedy in it. Like, and there's some good new ones like Cabin in the Woods. I think that's got a lot of, a bit too much comedy in it for, to make my, a list of my favourite horrors. Um, I, th- I saw that, I was trying to watch that one last night. Cabin in the Woods. I was going to sleep, yeah, just to refresh my memory. And um, I love it until the last half hour. Like I think the build-up is... The tension, the oh, what's going on here? Yeah, what, yeah. Who are these people in the bunker? Yeah. Liking this, and then it just goes too nuts for me. Is when that, all the lifts start spewing yeah, out all yeah. the different creatures, I'm like, I'm That's, out. That is a real thing. That is part of the reason I think I've gone off modern horrors. I still get the odd one come out and I go, oh, that's really good. But I've got, I think a lot of them uh, go too crazy at the end. It's a weird um, trend that's happened. Like, yeah. there's ones like Insidious. I went to watch Insidious at the cinema. I spent the first hour absolutely terrified. I was on my own. It was an afternoon showing. And um, it was only a couple of people in the whole screen. So it was already quite unnerving. And it was terrifying. But then the last hour, it just goes so crazy and starts showing you too much. That's the thing about modern horrors, I think, is they get a bit obsessed with showing you everything. Yeah. You know, like um, I went to watch the remake of It. And I love the original It. But this one, the new one, like, not to, this is a spoiler, but it's in the opening scene. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure people have seen the original. In the original, the little kid, is it Georgie, puts his arm down to reach the balloon, and you don't see what happens. You just see the clown is in the drain, and yeah. it's terrifying because you know what's happened, but you don't need to see it. In the new one, it shows him pull the kid's arm off, and there's blood squirting everywhere, and that's in the opening scene. You're like, that's already shown me too much. Yeah. So the moment I watched it, I was like, I'm not going to like this because it's just. It, the modern horror films I think try and just give away too much of or they, yeah, I think they don't trust people to make up the sort of imagine what's happening in their head which is way scarier isn't it yeah and on the subject of that um, I noticed you've not got any 
Alfred Hitchcock on here, but in Psycho, uh, you don't actually see the knife going. No, but people swear blind that they, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the shower scene, they see her get stabbed. But it's just all all inferred. Your mind does the rest. Definitely, and I mean again, something like Hitchcock probably didn't make the list just because it just was just before my time in terms of. When I was getting into horror films, I start I, the ones I watched were the sort of classics from maybe the generation just before me, sort of late seventies uh, onwards. So like, I, it wasn't until later on I went back and watched some of the older classics, and I love them. But yeah, they just they do feel also slightly dated. In that, I don't know. When I was watching horrors as a teenager, they just felt a little bit too much like old people films. Whereas now I appreciate them a lot more. And also another big one that didn't make the cut is The Shining. Is that the same sort of reason? Same sort of reason. Again, it's uh, no. I think The Shining more for again because there's so much other stuff in it. It's got you know it's a sort of family drama and you know there's a lot of other elements. I get out of it. I've what I love it. I love The Shining, but for some reason again in my head I don't think of it as just an out and out horror. The, the one I put the ones I put in this list are I think what I class as out and out horror films. Whereas, yeah, that, I think Shining's got a bit too much else going on. And what a fabulous list it is. So in terms of spoilers, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put on the blog uh, Nathan.show time codes so that if we get to a film and you think, oh, I've not seen that, I don't want to know anything about it, you can skip forward to the next film uh, by checking out the time code. So we're going in, we're going in full spoilers <laughs> if we need to. Okay. So, Carl, top ten horror films, what is at number ten? Number ten, I've gone for The Burning which is, um, weirdly, probably a controversial start. This was Harvey Weinstein's first ever production. I don't know if you're aware of this. His first of 328 producing yeah. credits I read. But I obviously, this is this was before the times we knew of his uh, indiscretions. Um, but this was, um, this was probably right at the heart of when I first was getting into horror films. Um, and the, I remember, you know, I loved Friday the 13th. But then I saw The Burning and I preferred The Burning. And they, it turns out they were made just like... I think The Burning was like being made just as they finished Friday the 13th. And uh, and it's it's a classic, you know, holiday summer camp. Um, a sort of wronged janitor but who's been, you know, embarrassed by a bunch of kids. And, you know, I think he's been disfigured by them playing a prank on him. And he comes back just to wreak absolute havoc. Uh, so it's very similar to the story of Friday the 13th, which was a kid who was got got that sort of treatment. Uh, and basically what happened is in the meantime of it being made and being released, Friday the 13th came out, but also a bunch of other slasher-type films where young ki- people were being killed by a, you know, a sort of evil, vindictive person out for revenge. And this film just didn't really do any business at all. But I think it's way scarier. It's way... It's horrible. It's really violent. It was part of that whole sort of gore fest scene. You know, this. Have you? Uh, did have you seen this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've watched all of these except for number five. Okay. Um, uh, and so this one, there, there's different versions available though. There's, right. Because it was it was banned until, not banned, but the sort of full version, the uncut version, was banned for the year. It might be until like two thousand, early two thousands. Um, but you could get a copy. I remember seeing a copy of the uncut version, and it's just brutal. You've got people getting their fingers chopped off with like gardening shears, and it just it's it's really gross, but it's also very unnerving. And I remember this just being like, it was felt so naughty watching a film that was technically illegal when I was like twelve, 
So it's just this, I think it holds a little place in my heart for how sort of underground it felt when I watched it. So what what sort of uh, places would you see horror films at that age? Were your parents quite open to you just sticking anything on? Or Yeah, I mean, my parents were at the, like, my parents always just let me sort of do whatever I wanted. My brother's seven years older than me, so it was almost like they knew I was going to see his cast off. So, you know, anything he was watching, I was going to get to watch. So from probably about seven or eight, I was watching just adult films, really. Not not adult. <laughs> I was watching poor. Films with an adult theme. <laughs> yeah, I was watching 18s, essentially. And um, so, yeah, then there was a period of time when my uncle owned a pub and we moved into the pub and my parents managed it briefly, just for about 18 months. And it was a video shop right next door. And because my parents were just always working in the pub, you know, I was just left to my own devices. And it was because they went into the video shop and told, because he, the guy came into the pub all the time, they became sort of friendly. They just said, well, if when Carl comes in to get a video, just give him whatever he wants, we're fine with it. So I just had this magical wow. free reign where I'd go into the video shop every day. I'd go, right, and pick up the next horror I wanted, and he'd just give it to me. And I was like 10. So, yeah, that was sort of... Um, why I, I think I, I think I probably chose horror as well because it was quite scary and violent and you know it felt naughty being a 10 year old being able to go to the video shop and go like can I get Friday the 13th 4 I'd always ask for the leprechaun and always be told no <laughs> when I was about 6 I, I think that was the only film I ever wanted to see just because I wasn't allowed to see yeah, it yeah. I think I even saw things like gremlins and ghoulies but for some reason yeah. leprechaun there's so no. many leprechaun films aren't there like there's now like 6 or 7 and I've never seen any of them. No, I don't think I have either. I think it'd ruin it now if I did. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's one of them probably in space as well. Probably, <laughs> I would hazard yeah. a guess there's a leprechaun in space. The Burning was one of the first movies to land on the UK's video nasties list, apparently. Yeah. And it was because of the Raft Massacre. Uh, well, yeah, that's the one that, that involves a fingers being chopped off by Garden Shears event. It's brutal. It, it's, yeah, it's very violent. You know, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have been watching it as a 10-year-old. Did you have garden shears? No, luckily my parents are not gardeners. Yeah, fine then. <laughs> I've got no, my own now. <laughs> I, um, I was doing a bit of gardening the other day. But uh, yeah, I was just... Um, it is very, it's very violent. I think now I'd probably wince if I watched it. I've not watched it in years. But it's just a seminal film of my youth. It was one of the ones that made me go like, oh, this is why I like horror, because it feels like you shouldn't be watching it. And I'd not heard of it until, I'm ashamed to say I'd not heard of it until I saw it on your list and I watched it in the last week and it is pretty full on, isn't it? Yeah. Um, from the very beginning, Cropsy, the, the bad caretaker guy, yeah. um, you know, we sort, of, we sort of side with him as kids walk into his cabin while he's asleep and stick a burning skull full of maggots <laughs> on the side <laughs> and you think, oh, that poor guy. And then uh, from then on, you know, he, he gets the shit burned out of him, he's in hospital, and from then on it's just like, we don't see him. Yeah. It, you know, it goes back to what we were saying about your brain doing all the work for you. We, we see his body, we see his gloved hands, we don't see his face. And it just builds that mystique and that like, oh, I thought he was my friend and now he's chopping all the fingers off these little kids. Yeah, and it also, this is one of them films, I think there was a, they, they were all quite controversial because there is that thing of they were wronged and now they're going on a killing spree. They were controversial because a lot of people were saying, well, you're trying to justify what they're doing. There's a sense of us feeling sad for 
yeah. uh, somebody who's a brutal murderer, which I can understand, but also I think you do slightly lose empathy with them once they start chopping people up. I don't know, I'm capable of feeling empathy for someone and then going, oh, they turned out bad. You know, so I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but something like I spit on your grave, you know, you're completely behind them, aren't they? Aren't you? And they go on their killing spree yes. after the horridious, yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. things. But that's it. Yeah, that's obviously there's a slight difference. But yeah, I think that it, there is. Um, I don't know. I think it's quite an interesting little setup for a film to go. This person was hard done by, quite brutally by a bunch of kids, and they're obviously lashing out. And I'm not saying that's right, but you sort of have this weird like understanding of there is a reason even though they've definitely taken it way too far and finally on this one it was a film of other firsts too it was Jason Alexander's first film role so there would oh, be yeah. a very different um, Seinfeld if, if he'd not been in this film <laughs> it was Holly Hunter's first flick and it was also Fisher Stevens' first movie right. so we wouldn't have had him doing brown face in short circuit too in short circuit and <laughs> short circuit too I think he's the one he gets his he's the one who gets his fingers chopped and deserves it yeah so number nine where are we number nine is the newest on the list like in this is a really new film in you know in comparison to the other ones uh, it's called the invitation and this is i love this film it's like it's so small and intimate have you watched this as yeah, well yeah yeah i went so, into this blind i knew not i saw this i think soon after it hit netflix and knew nothing about it i'm yeah. so glad i didn't and again it's sort of i mean this is one that could have theoretically fallen out of the category into sort of more thriller because it's sort of the whole point of the film is a guy um is invited to his ex-wife or girlfriend i can't remember if they're married or not but um they, they she's having a sort of dinner party uh, you sort of don't know why they broke up but then you later find out it's because their son died and it just you know they just lost the plot and it drove them apart so he's showing up to the dinner party with his new girlfriend gets there and it's just sort of everyone's a bit odd and a bit over the top and it's up in the LA, LA hills and it just starts going off the rails very quickly he starts getting a sense that they're up to no good and this is maybe some sort of weird is it like a sex cult or party or and then it just starts getting more insidious and stuff like are these people trying to kill us and like he it, you what's brilliant about this film and it totally caught me off guard as well i didn't know anything about it i think it was that classic thing of just seeing it on netflix and going what's this bang and then just couldn't believe what i was watching you never actually really know um for large majority of the film if any of it's real or if he is just a man who's clearly going through the loss of his son and the grief and it sent him into this paranoid state yeah and it's just you just basically so you, you're watching and he's not very likeable that's what I like the main character is a bit of an arsehole so you sort of don't really sympathise with him you start thinking oh, actually he's probably just an idiot and a nutter and he's just lashing out at these other people who are genuinely quite nice and then you start going oh, hang on no, maybe he's onto something so it's a real amazing little journey of a film where you go through it with him and I think the intimate setting really helps it, doesn't it? That with each little turn of the screw, his attention just gets taken up another oh, notch. Yeah. They've got nowhere to go. And the doors are locked. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we've got to lock the doors today. Um, and you're just thinking, uh, it's so easy to empathise with him, isn't it? And put yeah. yourself in that position and think, oh, what would I do? I'm, I'm stuck in this house and it's locked. Social convention is sort of keeping me there. Yeah. But something is definitely wrong. Yeah, yeah. And it's also it's yeah so it does it's got a, it's got a lovely little twist as well at the end, 
which again, no spoilers. Oh no, we we can spoil. We will. I've time coded all on the blog. Nathan Dodge. I don't even think. Even now, I think it's sort of. It doesn't need to be said. It's just a really lovely like. Just when you think it's over, there's a little sort of scene, a time, not even a scene, just a shot that makes you go, oh shit. Is this when they're outside? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that that for me made it from a good film to a great yeah. film. It just blew my mind that what was happening in this little microcosm within this one house wasn't just happening yeah. in this little microcosm. And it's done really well as well. Just the, that, that shot is so telling. Yeah. Simple. That's, that's what I loved about this film. It, in a lot, a lot of modern horror films, like I said, they've got this weird obsession with going so far. But this never does. Even at the end, does get quite violent. and so, But it's very quick almost. It sort of just comes to a head and it all goes off. Uh, but I think it's good enough up to that point to warrant that. But then it just gives you a nice little twist. It's not, it's so, I think it's a really lovely contained little film. It's almost like a play, isn't it? It's yeah. just set in almost one, mainly in one room. And I just, I just loved how simple it was. It, it was very confident. Like it wasn't, it didn't think, oh now let's have a massive violent scene here and let's do this and go crazy and make, have a 40 minute chase or something. It's just, it, it trusts that it's just going to keep you unnerved for the whole time. Although that also pissed me off. I, I, been trying to write film scripts for years and I've wanted to come up with that idea of something that's just contained yeah. and like would be easy to shoot yeah, like, yeah. within one location and it just nailed it and I was so fucking jealous yeah. <laughs> so Carl what is number 8 in your top 10 horror films number 8 is uh, probably the only one that has got a fair amount of comedy in it but it's sort of it, the comedy is very much a couple of bits scattered throughout the first half of the film, and then it does actually get uh, properly scary. It's American Wealth in London, and this is one of the ones again. It was sort of a seminal film of my youth. In you know, it was so big, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just such a big film, like in terms of its success, and and also it was set in London. So it was the first horror film I saw that. I made me think, oh, that could happen to me. Do you know what I mean? There's a yeah. famous scene in the tube on the escalator. And I, I still reckon now, if I'm on my own and it's a quiet time of day or night and I'm on the tube going up an escalator and I look down, that's that scene is what comes into my head. Yeah. And it's just, it also, it's a classic horror film. It's a werewolf film. You don't really, normally werewolf and vampire films are naff, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. such an easy thing to get wrong. Because it's such old stories, you know, hundreds of years old, like, you know, old, almost old fairy tales. To make that work in an actual modern film is really difficult. Whenever they try and do any vampire film, it's, it's crap, isn't it? I'm trying to think of a good vampire film. Something like 30 Days of Night is probably a good one because it's modernised and uh, it works in the current, you no, know, in the modern world. But yeah, now normally it's just, you're watching it, it's like some, you know, werewolves, they overdo the sort of mythology of it. Not a fan of the Twilight series, then. No, I'm not, no. <laughs> oh, weirdly, I did read um, the first book out of curiosity when it was a, when it became a cultural phenomenon. I thought, I should probably just see what people are banging on about. Yeah. I read it. It's, it's very easy to read. It's got a sort of Dan Brown vibe, you know? Right. Where it's just, you read it from cover to cover really quickly, and the whole time you're enjoying it, but within about two minutes of shutting, you're like, that was crap. <laughs> you know, it's an amazing, it's actually a really good skill for a writer to be able yeah. to keep you entertained with very little. 
So that's what I felt with that Twilight book. I just I read it. I was like, I can totally see why it captures people's imaginations. Like I used to really like the Anne Rice books, oh, Interview yeah, yeah. of the Vampire and the Vampire Lestat. I read all those when I was like in my sort of mid-teens, and they were quite good. But there's they're a little, they are a bit naff in hindsight. If I read them now, I'd cringe. When I was fifteen, I was like, it's well cool, man. You know, the Vampire Lestat's about a vampire. And, in the modern age is a rock star it's yeah. like, now I think oh god <laughs> but yeah the films I mean I quite like the interview with the vampire film in terms of you know because I quite like the book I've got a soft spot for it and I think they nailed the casting didn't they such great well, yeah. casting Tom Cruise as a yeah as the sort of old but obviously clearly looks very young and sexy and and Brad Pitt just looked amazing in yeah. it and played that sort of very stoic sort of sad man very well. But yeah, so I, I quite like the mythology of all these films, but in terms of werewolf films and vampire films, it's not many that I would say I love that film. So American Werewolf in London is the one that snuck through because it put it in London. It's got a really cool cast. John Landis, because he directed it as well, it makes it funny. There's moments that are really funny in it. Having that little comic relief of his best friend haunting him from the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from beyond the grave, but it's also really sort of sarcastic and really annoyed that he's dead is a, that's a funny little thing that just breaks attention from time to time and I think they actually wound back on that I was reading that uh, there was a scene that either got cut or didn't get filmed where he was going to be eating toast and it was just going to fall out of his throat <laughs> which I think would have been a beautiful little touch yeah, yeah, yeah. but makeup um, and visual effect you know it was a back in the t- you know no CGI nothing like that um, so the transformation scene was just for its time so groundbreaking and also just, just sorry to cut you off but like because it wasn't CGI and they had to make the sort of almost rubber thing stretch it makes it look so painful yeah yeah when you watch it you're wincing because you can you can imagine it happening when you watch CGI there's that slight remove isn't there where you're like it doesn't feel like you're watching it something that could happen to you yeah uh, obviously it's getting to the point now where it looks very realistic but yeah I remember that scene like, it looks painful which is rare you know when you watch a film you see something like it makes you feel it in your body and that, I remember that scene really clearly when I first saw it I sort of spent the whole thing with my face screwed up in almost pain for the guy and the sound effects as well as the bones are creaking yeah. and cracking and the fingernails are growing but that was so good that um, they invented a best makeup Oscar for Rick Baker for his work oh, really? like, he was the first person to receive that award just they must have just seen it and thought, oh, hang on, We're, we've got a gap in the market here. We're yeah, not covering yeah. all our bases with these Oscars. There was also um, uh, Rick Mao, his first oh, movie yeah. appearance, I think, or one of his first, if not his first. Um, and Brian Glover and David Schofield as two of the blokes in the in the pub. Oh, I think oh yeah. Great. And to see them in there. Even that, like again, it that, that setup of it, just these two wide-eyed American backpackers suddenly finding themselves on the Yorkshire Moor, just such a, a good location, yeah. and then going into that dodgy pub, and everyone just looks at them. It's like it just sets up a creepy atmosphere. It's, it is that thing if you get you get wind of them, people all know what's going on, and it's just yes, yeah, it's, it's really good. I, I forgot I wrote a note because I remember like it made me laugh when I realised um, the films that he. John Landis had done Blues Brothers before this yes. and did Trading Places afterwards and I love that imagine doing this in between those two films doing a vampire oh sorry a werewolf film 
maybe it's sort of that old thing of one for the in, uh, two for the industry, one for me sort of a thing. Wasn't yeah, it? I think Blues Brothers was what helped him swing getting uh, American Werewolf made. Oh, yeah, I'm not I think surprised. That was the calling card for him to say, "Look, come on, I know what I'm doing. Let me let me have some cash and yeah, do this, please." Yeah. yeah, that's great. I love it. And that's the, it's, you look at some some of these films as you go through the list. You'll see it's. I, I quite like um, when you get a horror film directed by a sort of non-horror director because they, I think it, it just sometimes gives it a little different twist and flair that you know isn't your classic. But the cultural impact as well, because Michael Jackson then like took the best yes. best people from this, so John Landis and Rick Baker and some of the others, and said, "Make me a video," and they came up with Thriller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just unbelievable, like how groundbreaking this film must have been at the time and how people outside of horror films went oh hang on well that was it I think as John Landis did it it gave it a bit more of a an appeal to people that wouldn't normally have watched a horror film it was a real crossover wasn't it because yeah. a lot of it you know is there's funny bits and there's nice bits and there's like the little romance with, with um, is it Jenny yeah, Agatha Jenny isn't it and uh, yeah there's like it's, it, 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 a lot of it plays out as a really nice film weirdly but then it's just the the background of horror that yeah it's um I think I can see why this one would appeal to non horror fans. And finally on this one, how do you feel about the music all being so on the nose? Like every song title had moon in it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very. I mean yeah, it's great. I mean I'm a, I'm a big film soundtrack fan as well, and uh, yeah, this is this has got a great soundtrack. I love that when it's um, you know yeah because I'm. Obviously, I like an original score, but I do. I like a film that uses the classics and throws in a bunch of different genres to, to sort of, you know, I, I like a director who goes. And actually, let's not stick to one sound of yeah. music. Like I watched an amazing TV show called The Leftovers. Have you heard of it? No. It's made by the people that made Lost, and uh, and obviously it, it didn't have the impact because Lost sort of. You know, let's face it, petered out, didn't it? Yeah. So the left leftovers is what they did afterwards, and it was it came out about four or five years ago, and it was only ran for three series, but it was meant to. It only had like it was written as a three series thing. If only they'd done that. That would last day. I know, but um, it's without doubt got the best soundtrack I've ever heard to a TV show because what it, it's 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 so many different genres that come out of nowhere. Like one minute you've got a bit of old country, and then. You've got like a sort of electro song, and then there's loads of original stuff done by Max Richter, who's done loads of soundtrack stuff. People would know it, like the main song from Arrival and stuff like that. As he's been using other films, wow. like it's just it's somehow they've just taken like every bit of music in it is perfect for the show. Like you can, there's a Spotify playlist you can get where somebody's compiled it all, and it's just the best. It's hours and hours of amazing music. So yeah, I think. It's good when a when it's you know for a, a werewolf film they could have gone all cr- sort of creepy yeah classical music or something but just to throw in blue moon and who, who can hear bad moon rising now without yeah, exactly thinking, I, that every time I hear that song yeah. I think of this film some songs just you know nail it for yeah, the yeah. film and then get nailed to the film you know Definitely. just in, inseparable in the mind yeah. Something else inseparable in the mind is your number seven film. <laughs> That's a lovely link. That's <laughs> um, a bit cheesy, do you think? This is uh, the Spanish horror film Wreck. I'm glad you said the Spanish version. Did you watch the Spanish version? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you did because uh, they remade it in America as Quarantine, I think Quarantine, it's called. Yeah. Which I've watched as well, and it's almost a like for like 
remakes, like shot by shot. It's which seems a bit patronising, I think, to yeah. American audiences. I know, you know, that's almost saying, look, we know you're not going to read the subtitles and watch this, so here's the exact same film, just with a couple of actors you might recognise. But it's still, if, yeah, if somebody doesn't like reading subtitles, you can absolutely watch Quarantine and you still get a similar effect. But I quite like this for, I quite liked it because it was a little unknown Spanish horror film. It's like, you know, it's, it's nice that, it's like that little wave of, Asian horror films that came out in the early 2000s that everyone suddenly went oh my god yeah. it's nice when you sort of see one from different places and with subtitles now because it's just a different experience isn't it and this one was just I love this because it, it's one of them ones that I think they're referred to as found footage horror films yes. which is basically like Blair Witch would be the, probably prime example of this is the footage of something that happened and you're watching the real thing and which is a nice little device isn't it uh, but this is just like it's essentially it feels like a vamp uh, a, a zombie film that's yeah. what I like about it but then as it goes on it, you find out something a lot more dodgy's going on and it just and it does have that feeling of like it's almost like the rage you know in films like it feels like it's set in a big block of uh, flats in is it Barcelona I think so yeah and uh, and yeah there's, you know they've had to quarantine it off because it's, uh, there's a sort of virus going around but we don't know what it is and then you start seeing that people have clearly infected with something and going a bit crazy and they send people in and there's a film crew and, and it's almost like you know they, they get picked off and they're sort of the last remainers have to work their way out to the top of the house to find out the secret and it ends up being quite a big um, sort of biblical type uh, religious undertone um, possession type story but it's just sim- it's re- again it's really simple it's contained in one building they just work their way up loads of little scares loads of dark moments of like oh this is scary and then a big at the end another one I was really jealous of like in terms of oh shit if I thought of that I could yeah. have made it on my phone <laughs> or something but what I like about this is the director was really fucking with them like he would, he'd only given the scripts on the day of filming yeah yeah and apparently like when they got to the top of the building uh, and they were just going off the night vision camera they didn't know what was in they'd not I been in know, that that's room that's amazing but the the thing that does it for me is, if, if you're a director, how much would you love to do this to your cast? Um, when the guy fell from the top uh, floor down the staircase and just hit the deck behind them all, they didn't know it was going to happen. Oh. If that is true, that is just... That's masterclass yeah. method, isn't it? That's, yeah. fuck you guys, this is going to happen. You're just, just going to have to react to it and lose yeah. your shit. Oh, God. It's um yeah it's really it does feel like there's the the acting so I think it's a Spanish film we don't know any of the actors unless no. you, I mean I don't watch too many Spanish films so they might be massive in Spain. Well, but apparently the lady was an actual TV presenter as well as an actress. So yeah, so you it's that thing of it. You, there is that slight. I don't know any of these people. I'm just watching it. You can dispend belief a lot easier. Yeah. You know, imagine Tom Cruise was playing the main guy part of you is always thinking that's Tom Cruise yeah, yeah. so th- I like the fact that when I saw this I had no knowledge of it didn't know any of the actors director nothing it was just like it was yeah it, was, it felt very new in a time and after the Blair Witch there was loads of films that tried to do that found footage quite uh, sort of clumsily and this was just how it should be done really it should make you feel totally like you're there yeah I think it got a bit tired as well found footage but this one sort of reinvigorated it gave it a new life yeah because it was so in your face and so you know 
you were there as you say yeah 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 like, what was the one I watched last night I um yeah I watched one called The Lazarus Project and that's sort of a bit of found footage style but then cuts it in and it's um it just didn't yeah it's not I didn't love it to be honest but that was yeah that felt like the sort of when it's done slightly wrong it's it just feels a little bit like a gimmick doesn't it and the amazing thing about Wreck is I just watched it on YouTube in its entirety wow I don't know whether it's licensed or what so go watch it quick in yeah. case they take it down yeah do it's a, it's a very good film so are we going to stick with a foreign language movie for number six he asks um, yes we're going to go with the original Japanese version of The Ring oh glad you Ringu, said the original as I believe it was called um, this was another one of the ones that just came out of nowhere didn't it? it just I think there was that little wave of Asian horror films that just were like really good, like the grudge and all that. And this was the first one that sort of caught. I think the first one that transferred, where everyone suddenly was like, "Man, have you seen The Ring?" And like, it was just—it's a great little story, and it's got that little good device and repeated thing of the video. It keeps showing little clips of this video that people have seen, but you never really see the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, and then just as such a great little story, isn't it? You watch a video tape that somebody gives you. And then seven days later, you're dead. That's just That's scary, scary, isn't it? It's such an original little idea. So I remember just, yeah, I remember just watching it with no real background knowledge and just really getting into it. And it gets more and more intimidating and scary. And then it has this moment at the end that I think is one of the scariest scenes of all time. If you don't know what's coming. Problem is, if it got ruined for you and somebody gave you a spoiler, I think it doesn't have the impact. When I watched it, I was, it's one of the ones where you're holding onto the chair. I, I cannot cope with this. Yeah. And again, it was a slow burn to get there, wasn't it? They yeah. just slowly r- sort of ramped up the tension, fed you a bit Absolutely. more information. It's a, real, it's a really slow-paced film, um, which I really like. Yeah, it doesn't do that thing of just... It doesn't have that, that format of like teasing 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 ah like yeah. a lot of horror films have it just keeps chipping away <laughs> and then at the end it was just this moment of like <laughs> and it's a great little twist as well you know that little yeah the sort of once it's that point where you think this is all oh they've resolved it now sorted and then the bad moment that really happens so it's all been a lie almost i think we need to talk about the bad moment don't we um, yeah, we can do. So we're going to spoil it. So again, look on the blog, Nathan.show, and I'll have a time code for the next film, which will be number five that you'll need to skip to. So how do you feel about the fact that she's going to show this video to someone, knowing what it's going to do? Well, hang on. Yeah, that, I mean, that's I mean, yeah, that I mean that's horrible. Yeah, you you lose all respect for the main character, <laughs> but you sort of understand it once they work out what's actually happening. But hang on, don't they, doesn't she do that after? That's right at the end. The very end, but after yeah. the, out of the telly moment. Oh, out of the telly, oh. Yeah, yeah. sorry, no, I'm, I'm, I mean, that bit there is the, that's the sort of little horrible, like, oh God, yeah, she's doing that resolve, after she learns that they've failed in the actual. Oh, right, sorry, that's um, the, yeah, this is a film that keeps giving, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so I there's mean, the, basically, there's almost two twists, isn't there? Yeah. But one twist is, uh, a horrible moment you learn that she's going to have to just continue the trend but the moment before that scene when how she learns that you need to do that is after the what you think is the final scene when they you know they finally put the body to rest and and then uh, the ex-boyfriend 
goes back to his house and he's all like sorted yeah, yeah. <laughs> suddenly the telly comes on and it all it just goes absolutely uh, off the rails that's the that scene to me was the one that just I just couldn't I, I couldn't cope with it when I watched it it was one of the scariest moments I've ever had watching a film and I think the hardest thing about it was he didn't deserve it did he he'd done so you know he busted his ass to get that body out of the well yeah yeah, yeah yeah you think oh you know as a pair they've, they've come through this together totally and like, that's it and it is that that's the moment she realises that none of that matters it wasn't this innocent little girl who just wanted to be laid to rest and find peace yeah. she was a evil little girl who wants to kill people and it's a horrible, it's a horrible moment. To, she's up, she's been on this massive odyssey of, like you know, investigation to come to this conclusion, and she finally does it, and then it's total nonsense, and it just kills her ex-boyfriend, and then she's got to just continue the murder spree, which is just it's a lovely, it's a real bleak end to a horror film. There's no let up. It's like oh, this is just going to carry on forever. Yeah. Although, do you think that she was obviously going to her dad's to pick her boy up? So do you, in your mind, do you think it would have played out that she'd say, uh, Dad, need, need a massive favour from you. This is going to happen, but yeah. could you watch it anyway? Because I think Japanese culture, I think that for the honour of his family, I think he'd probably do it, totally. wouldn't he, if she asked him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, it is that thing, I suppose, if you say, look, then you've got to make a copy and give it to somebody. And you, like, if you keep telling everyone, yeah, and I suppose then... It's about deciding who's going to be the ones that you don't tell. It's like a pyramid scheme. Isn't it? <laughs> it's a really it's going to collapse at some point. <laughs> but I went to watch the American remake uh, in the cinema because I thought it'd just be fun. Yeah, you know, I think uh, watching horror films in the cinema is so good. Like it's not like watching any other film really because I because the, they, obviously there's going to be jumpy moments and scary moments when everyone's on edge and that. But to feel that energy in like a group environment is amazing. And watching the American remake, even though it was just a bit of a crap, like shot for shot remake, it was still brilliant in the cinema. You know, I'd never ever bother watching the American remake again. Yeah. You know, I'd much rather go back and watch the original. But just having that experience of watching the American one in the cinema when it first came out was excellent. Because most of the cinema didn't know what was coming. So even I knew what was going to happen. I still enjoyed the actual spectacle of jumps and yeah. There's a bit early doors when. Uh, I think it's the first girl who dies, the babysitter, and it's when the it sort of there's almost a flashback when I think it's Naomi Watts is talking to the the her niece, I think it is, and the niece says how she found the body, and it just shows her open a cupboard and the girl's in the cupboard and her face is all distorted, and I remember that moment in the cinema as the cupboard doors open and you see this face and it's like the whole place went, ah! <laughs> and it was just this like it was a real collective. Like hysteria, it was wicked. Like I could, that's even that's the thing. Going to watch even quite a bad horror film at the cinema is fun. Like the Paranormal Activity films, I'm not. You know, I'm not a fan of them as films, but I've watched. I watched a couple of them in the cinema, and they're really fun cinema films. But there's very little outside of that because it's all it is is jumps. There's no actual film, is there? You know what I mean? It's, right. Yeah. That's my issue with that style of horror is. It is just, it's like a roller coaster. It is, it's just, ah, 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 and then the credits come up and you just all go out. <laughs> so, oh, why would I bother watching that at home? It's not a real experience, is it? It's not, you don't get anything out of it. But I can totally see why they work on the big screen. And you're right, there's, there's something about 
fear and tension like that you can feel in the air that oh. you can't feel with other emotions like if lots of people are happy or laughing sure you can hear laughter but you can almost feel it on the back of your neck yeah. can't you tension and sort of like oh fuck the, the first paranormal film in the cinema that was one of again one of the best cinematic experiences I've ever had not because of the film because of the the audience watching it like it was there was scenes you know because like you know you know it's going to be a jumpy bit so it's it's not even about the jumpy bit it's about the anticipation yeah. that oh something's going to move and there was it was so funny there was bits where the whole cinema you could almost feel gripping the armrests and then the big jump would happen and everyone, there'd be people shouting oh fuck like <laughs> people were scoffed I've, I've, my ex at one point just went oh fuck off <laughs> so just because something it happened again it kept happening yeah and it was just a really funny release of like, I can't cope with this. Hideo Nakata, the director of The Ring, also did Dark Water, which I thought was equally brilliant. That same sort of sense of otherworldliness. Yeah, that's what I think they do really well. Though. Like And like The Grudge as well and stuff. It's sort of, it's, it's almost like that mythology, you know, of it's like, like we were talking about how naff like vampire and werewolf films are. Yeah nowadays because the mythology feels really old but they, for some reason these Japanese ones always catch a bit of mythology that feels old but it's not one we've heard of so it's, yeah. it feels really like, exciting and uh, yeah that Dark Water even again I quite like the remake with Jennifer Connelly because yeah, yeah, yeah again I think I'd see I think I went back and it's one of the ones where I saw the remake first and then went had to go back which happens now and again doesn't it yeah but, um, it's, uh, I think it's better to do it that way around isn't it like see the remake second and like oh. oh yeah yeah you should get the real experience first I think oh no sorry oh are you saying the other way around you want yeah, to watch it oh you watch the bad one first yes, get it out of the yeah. way I suppose that's quite yeah. an interesting way of thinking then, about it I watch the crap one and watch the good one yeah but then do you not think you're because you know the story then do you not think you're taken away from watching the original oh see there's a question I mean, it's horses for courses. I like really, to eat my it? dinner, like the most boring bits first and the nicest bits at the end. Oh, really? Sort of eat it in order of worst. But I think, <laughs> might, I think you might just blow your cover if, yeah. you've, if you know where the story's so, going. Uh, yeah. Just mix them up. That's how I eat my dinner. <laughs> so I need to watch both films simultaneously. Like oh, there's 15 minutes idea. of one, 15 minutes of the other. Oh, I want to try that with Psycho and the Gus Van Sant apparently shot for shot remake. Just to see. With, um, who was the guy in it? Is it oh, Vince Vaughn? Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So just have those on two separate screens <laughs> next to each other at the same time, see if it is shot for shot. Yeah. It's like syncing up uh, Wizard of Oz with Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. getting it bang on, seeing if it's real. <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on to number five. So this is the one that I could only see clips of on YouTube. I couldn't stream it anywhere, obvious. Um, what is number five? Uh, number five is Candyman, which probably wouldn't make a lot of people's lists of top ten horror films. But this, again, is purely about the experience of watching it that I had at the time of my life of watching it. I reckon I was at 11 when I saw Candyman. When was I 11? Yeah, maybe, I reckon I must have been about 11, maybe 12. But it was while, yeah, while I was living in a pub, uh, above a pub with my parents, uh, and they were always downstairs working in the pub. And I was basically on my own. And sometimes my mate, my friend Adrian would come over and we'd watch a horror film. And Candyman was one. We went to the video shop, said, what's the new horror films? Candyman had come out, gave it to me. We went and watched it. And it just, it's it's got such a brilliant little device in it that just, if you're the right age and you're a bit nervy and scared, just shits you up. Which is the whole thing is, 
yeah, the backstory is again, it's that it's a guy who was uh, burned, and uh, he's now sort of come back to wreak revenge. But he's the Candyman, and you, if you say his name three times in a mirror, he appears. And just giving you that knowledge, even though it's in a film, <laughs> when you're a kid and you see that every mirror you look into for about the next eighteen months, you just are convinced the Candyman is going to come. Out. You're convinced you're going to say it. Yeah, yeah. So, so it just um, and all my friends, I've told all my friends to watch it, and it was just everyone had watched Candyman that I, like I knew, and it was we would dare each other to go into like the toilets and the bathroom. So it was it just started this wave of terror. And if you weren't the one to say it, there'd be someone else who'd start to say it, and you'd not be up front. You'd be like, stop, yeah, stop, yeah, stop. Yeah, 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 it was brilliant. Like we'd go into we'd just like, we'd, we'd all go into bathrooms together and stand there and try and do it, and someone would do it. And you're like, <laughs> So it's just this is purely about the fact that it had something that almost transcended out of the film and became part of popular culture for a bit with yeah. people that had seen it, which is quite rare, isn't it? You know, for just a moment like that, it's like when everyone was quoting Reservoir Dogs and stuff, and that happened. Sometimes films just sneak into you the way you talk with your friends and absolutely knock it out the park. So apparently, Virginia Madsen claims that she was hypnotised for some of the film's scenes. And she was given a trigger phrase on set, like when she was in scenes with Candyman, and she just like lost it halfway through and said, "Look, this is freaking me out too much. Can we stop doing this?" And again, it sort of harks back to what we were talking about earlier about going method. Like, yeah. imagine like being that much into your art that you just let the director hypnotise you. Yes, crazy. I mean, it's, yeah, there's probably a duty of care issue as well with, yeah. <laughs> you know directors and young actors and, although I don't yeah. think they were that fussed if they were forcing people to put bees in their mouth I suppose yeah there is that as well I used to be this, I don't know if this was the reason but I, I had a proper phobia of bees right for pretty much up until five years ago and this could have been the the trigger of that I don't know so I can't trace it back to anything else I've never been stung by a bee or a wasp so this film probably was the reason that I had an irrational fear of bees and wasps and Tony Todd the main guy apparently was stung 23 times by bees oh when filming words. the trilogy yeah I don't like that um, I don't think it would have been quite the same film had Eddie Murphy um, been given the role as they were considering him no, at one point that, see, that <laughs> 5 foot bad. 9 uh, Eddie Murphy <laughs> instead of 6 <laughs> foot 5 Tony Todd yeah I mean <laughs> I think you need a slightly intimidating uh, revenge murder I don't know a sort of somebody who comes out in mirror you don't want a little guy with comedian. a funny laugh yeah that's <laughs> absolutely not what you want but yeah Tony, Tony Todd is that his name um, he's um, his cameos in the Final Destination films are quite fun yeah. and Final Destination films again are a bit naff and, but they're good fun you know what I mean they're good just get home and turn on film four and it's on yeah but he sort of plays this creepy old coroner and I think yeah. I think they probably chose him because of his Candyman links, you know, to appease the old horror fans. I used to watch the first Final Destination one, the one with the plane crash. I used to watch that every time the night before I was going to get on a plane. <laughs> Just a shit. <laughs> the Yeah. Next on the list, number four. Where are we? Um, right, we are at now. We're into the classics, really. Uh, Halloween. I've gone for Halloween. Brilliant. Again, like this, I mean, it's just one of the most seminal horror films of all time, isn't it? It's like the, it is a go-to slasher film. You know, it's this is what created that. I suppose not cliche. Cliche is probably the right word of that almost unstoppable 
force behind you. No matter yeah. how fast you run, they just walk in and yes. walk in and walk in. Which I think is such an intimidating like film trope to create. And this is the one that started it, isn't it? And he doesn't even speak. It's like being speaks. chased by Big Track or something. Yeah. Just this slow moving yeah non you can't reason with it can you no it's actually that's exactly it it's no there's no way of reasoning with this psycho killer and also again it's one of them ones where you sort of have a bit of empathy for him because it's a yeah. troubled kid who was mistreated and all that and no one understands and just has just lost the plot but even though you don't actually it's not like you understand what they're doing but there's a part of you that's like maybe he's just a troubled boy <laughs> in in the current climate, that someone would probably have a diagnosis for it, and he'd be like, "There's probably medication. Yeah. It's probably bipolar. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It just went off the rails. It's very bad." But I I noted actually something down here um, about um, the run of films that John Carpenter did in a ten year period. I don't I can't think of a better ten year period for a, a director. Um, did uh, Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Oh, that might have even been just the year before. Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, Christine, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, and They Live. I love They Live. They Live. I watched it last week. It's it's brilliant. But that isn't that an amazing list of films to do in 10 years? Yeah, yeah. But not only do... All like, culturally significant in some way. Yeah, and all probably with him doing the soundtrack. Well, that's it. He did the soundtrack. The famous uh, Halloween... I can't even do I'm it. I'm glad now. you attempted it though. I wasn't yeah. even going to go near it. Yeah, apparently he's a very good um, pianist. And yeah, it's just he's just, um, you know, I know obviously some of the later ones that came along, like Escape from LA and Ghosts of Mars, were a bit poo. But I don't think you can take away from the fact that John Carpenter was an absolute, you know, beast of, you know, horror and sci fi for a big period of time. Yeah, absolute master. And I think that the soundtrack really does sort of drive it and get yeah. into your head. And yeah, like if you hear that music now, part of you will go, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> something must be behind you. It is. It just. It is one of the ones that again transferred into just popular culture. Mike, you know, Mike Myers' mask. You still see him at Halloween parties, and it's just so, it was such a. It's the simplicity of it as well. Again, you don't have to put all the bells and whistles on a horror film to make it scary the trick is to make it as small believable and simple as possible because then people go oh that could happen to me yeah, maybe yeah. there could be a nutter in a mask just I'm walking down the street and they're just walking behind me and that's it that is just the most simple horror you can imagine and people have again looked into like, like I was saying with Jaws and people have looked into this and said ah oh, seems to be seems to me that there's an underlying current that uh, what you're trying to say here, John, is that sex is bad because only the virgin sort of escapes at the end. And I love this. If John Carpenter is just like, no, nah, it's just that she was the least distracted. <laughs> just <laughs> shut it down. He's like, no. Nah. Yeah. But it is, yeah, I suppose. It, but then at the same time, isn't that the whole the whole point of the character is he's sort of lashing out at his sister, isn't he? That's right, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, he's just looking for people that fit the bill of his sister when he was a young boy it's a classic uh, projection if you're <laughs> going to get your psychology sort of a hat on uh, apparently the mask um, of Michael Myers was apparently modelled on William Shatner which I find hilarious <laughs> I didn't know that uh, according to the you know it's, it's the internet it could be a lie but 
That'd be fabulous. So moving on to number three, we're going to take John Carpenter and Donald Pleasance with us, aren't we? We are. We're going to go for one. Again, I don't think would make most top tens. I don't reckon it would make very many people's top tens at all. But Prince of Darkness, which is um, another... Yeah, John Carpenter made this. It's part of... He claims it's part of a trilogy called the Apocalypse Trilogy, which I think was... uh, I can't remember what order they were done, but The Thing, I think it might be The Thing, Prince of Darkness, and there's one called like In the Mouth of Madness. But uh, The Thing is obviously the one that's probably the most popular, successful, and brilliant as well. Yeah. And I, I love it. I absolutely love it. But I think, again, it's that thing I sort of think of it as sci-fi, because uh, it's got an alien in it. Yeah. Sort of an alien. We don't really, you don't really know where it's from. But uh, The Prince of Darkness is such a weird simple but it's got a lot of religious undertones a lot of um, physics in it as well so basically it's about um, a church I can't remember where it's set American city somewhere and um, and underneath it there is this weird glowing green tube and, uh, and it's got this sort of moving liquid in it and then a scientist goes to do tests on it um, it's, he's convinced it's sentient and he brings some students and while they're there doing the test weird things start happening and loads of sort of homeless people start gathering around and they're quite scary and and basically they become convinced it's something to do with the antichrist and it turns out that it is and it's just it's a bit of a you know it's a bit of a b movie really but the this the reason i think it made my list is there's one scene in it that just gave me nightmares for for so long and it's still again it's one of my favorite ever scenes in film and it's it, it it it's almost like a dream sequence that they keep having throughout the film yeah. of what is essentially the Antichrist appearing out of a smoky doorway, and it's sort of the way they filmed it. I've read about this. Uh, he filmed it as a shot, but didn't like how it looked, so then filmed it off a TV screen being replayed, which gives it this sort of dreamlike sequence. And just that sequence, I remember seeing it, and it just done something to me. It really scared me deep down I don't know why and it's just always stayed with me as a scene it's like it feel, I feel like it's one of my favourite ever especially horror film scenes I think it really captures the whole mood and plot of the film so there's a motif that kept coming back throughout the film yeah that that must have been horrific for you the first time you saw it well yeah it was just um, and I don't know why it's probably not a very scary scene I think most people you know it's that, that's what I like about horror uh not all horror but like the things this is why I don't really buy into like the paranormal activities and that they only scare people on one level don't they you know it's all about jumps and that scares everyone what I like about good horror films is they get you somewhere a bit deeper and in in, you know they are independent of some people are more scared of certain types and you know some people would watch Jaws and if they've got any sort of fear of the sea or they can't swim that's the most terrifying thing in the world or you might watch Halloween and if you live in a little leafy suburb that's quiet and dark at night you might be like <laughs> but you know if you live in a massive city and skyscrapers all around you Halloween probably won't have the same effect so what I like is they, they get everyone individually the good horror films do you know there are obviously broad themes but there are moments that will only scare you and a small number of people and this probably has something to do with me being raised Catholic that's why I've sort of got a soft spot for slightly religious horror films right and this one, just, yeah, I remember this scene just being like, oh, it's the Antichrist. And it just really just does it. She doesn't show you him. It doesn't or him or her or it. 
it just shows a sort of figure coming through a smoky doorway and there's this noise and it's just it's almost like you're watching a news report showing the end of the world and it's just yeah it's just really I don't know it's really just ingrained on my brain forever like I can totally picture the scene now and I've not watched this film in probably 10 years I'd never heard of this film so I was grateful for you bringing my attention to it and again like as you're saying some things just affect some people this <laughs> made me realise that I had a fear I never knew I had oh. like I'm quite I, I can take quite a lot of stuff you know things in horror films don't bother me and I can sort of yeah yeah watch that and and survive but I've realised I've got a fear of stuff being sprayed in my mouth <laughs> yeah. just from watching like the bit where the, the green fluid was being sprayed from the infected as they were yeah, into yeah. The, the normal people I couldn't cope with that <laughs> just something about it on a visceral level yeah I don't know if it's the colour but oh. I just couldn't cope with it it's almost like what's the what are the vampire films like 28 days later and stuff when you see like a like zombie over the top of somebody and there's like blood and that going into their face then that, there's, it's a horrible thing because you can feel like imagine all that stuff in my mouth yeah, in my eyes from that disgusting creature it'd be like having a bit of a bit of roadkill animal flicked at you or yeah, something yeah. so you know it's just going to stink and be yeah. disgusting and crawling with bacteria and other horrible things yeah but yeah this one is probably the most sort of surprise one that I think for anyone who's really into horror I don't think they'd probably put this anywhere near the top 10 Prince of Darkness but again it's you know most people wouldn't put it anywhere near John Carpenter's best five films or something but I just love it it's just something it's one of them ones that just got me so that's why it made my list which is what it's all about exactly so we're into the big two now what is your second best horror film on this list Carl Donnelly Nightmare on Elm Street Bosh. Classic. A classic one uh, that, again, just did something that you carried away from it and made you, unnerved you for a period of time after the film if you were a teenager, uh, which was just create a bloody dream monster. Someone who can get you when you're asleep. You have a dream, you get stuck in a dream, and a, and a really scary, burnt paedophile can come and get you. Isn't that just terrifying? And it's and also there's that well yeah it's just that thing of thinking you're the only person having the dream and then suddenly someone else tells you and someone else and suddenly you realise there's a link between all of you and it's only attacking your age demographic it's just again it's so specific yeah that if you're in that age demographic you're like oh it's gonna get us I loved it I just I just think it's such a good you know spin on the sort of slasher film because it's a slasher who can get you when you're asleep. That's just perfect, that's the ultimate, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and it still plays. And when I was watching it back for this, the night I'd seen it, I went to bed, and as I was getting to bed, I thought, "Oh, nightmare on Elm Street." Yeah, yeah. It mm. just gets you. It's sort of um, a sh- that's not a shame. Like the the you know the rest of the films really let it down. That's the only thing. I yeah, I've watched all of them, and I think number three is probably the only one that I still would go, oh, I quite like number three. Because it just sort of, what it did with it was quite different. In that it, you know, it set it up in a, it was like a, a, a it's like a psychiatric ward for, for kids uh, when they all start having the dreams. 
but then what they all work out is that in their dreams they can actually sort of have an element of control I suppose it's sort of almost a reference to like lucid dreaming yeah where you can have some control of your own dreams and how they can all sort of be something that they're not in the dream world so in the real world they're in a ward and they're all messed up but actually in the world where he can fight them they also can add stuff to their own abilities and that so they create almost like it's like like sort of they can fight back and it's that's quite a sort of a cool take on it but it's still just it's just nowhere near as scary as the first one the first one is just so simple and new and scary that it just they all after that just sort of tried to do something different with it and none of them really worked apart from that one being relatively entertaining but the first one I remember yeah I remember just the night after watching it or the night I watched it being 11 or something and just being like I cannot go to sleep this is it's impossible now I'm never sleeping again and was that another thing at your school where kids around the playground were all sort of humming the rhyme and you're like oh I'm back there well yeah you sort of me and my friends would do it just to freak each other out and yeah things. so yeah it, it's just yeah I think it's it perfectly jumped into every kid's psyche for a period of time well that didn't make sense like locking your door is going to do nothing against something that can just no. walk into your mind exactly have you ever managed to lucid dream is that I have managed to lucid dream yeah I've read a book on it <laughs> a friend of mine can do it he tra- yeah. he learned to do it over the course of a period of time he was telling me how to do it gave me a book and it's quite hard work you've got to put a lot of effort in and like, you've got to start making a dream journal but you, it's not one you wake up in the morning and go right what did I dream last night what happens is you have to, you actually wake up a few times in the night but normally you don't remember it the next morning because what will happen is you'll go into a dream you'll come out of it you'll wake up and you'll go straight back to sleep but you have to sort of you, you get into the habit of when you do wake up in the middle of the night you have to sit up and write down your dream that you've just come out of because that's when you remember it best right. so I found that I was I went from a period of thinking well I probably only have one a night and I don't remember that to some nights I've been noting down three dreams it's just because you get into the habit of physically sitting upright when you do wake up in the night and then you also have to put into place like things like throughout the day at every sort of maybe once an hour you have to sort of ask yourself if you're dreaming like physically out loud if you want and then you get into a habit that you could theoretically ask yourself that question while in a dream because you make it part of your routine and once you get all this into sort of place you it just happens like I, but mine was pure accident I did I managed to do it about three times and I was, I was in a dream and suddenly went whoa this is a dream yeah. and then I tried to change it too much and it woke me up because you can then sort of just amend what you're doing and it just freaks you out and then you, you don't want to basically I went from being in a dream I suddenly thought I wonder if I could just fly and I tried to and it woke me up because it was terrified <laughs> whereas I think you're meant to try and make slightly small amendments to the dream rather than just totally throwing it in the bin and going wild so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a possible thing. Some people are very good at it. Some people do it naturally. They just, every dream in their they're like, I think I'm in a dream again. Yeah. And they just go with it. I think I've done it a couple of times, but as you say, due to random chance, but I've got a friend also who got really into it. And I think, I think flying was his, that was where he wanted to get oh, to. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I've not spoken to him for a while. I don't know if he ever managed to achieve <laughs> it. <laughs> so before we move on to your number one horror film, if you found yourself like first of all have you ever thought what you would do if there was a zombie apocalypse or anything like that of course yeah, yeah I mean I uh, I mean I've, I, I love zombie films I've watched them all you know so I think I've probably got a good basis of knowledge but I think the trick surely is 
get to a remote area where they're not going to go or where even them trying to get there would take too long to you know to just die get to the top of a mountain bring loads of supplies get up into the mountains where they probably can't climb and you're fine Brecon Beacons I'd go out there or something <laughs> or Snowdonia <laughs> I think that would be mine would just be go remote and would you take great pride in gathering up an arsenal of weapons um, I mean it's, we know. are sort of slightly at a loss in the UK in terms of guns but that's probably for the better when we don't have a zombie apocalypse isn't it so yeah, yeah. I think I would yeah I'd, pr- I'd probably I'd you know use my location as the prime weapon <laughs> which is why I will not survive <laughs> Yeah, no zombie films made this really, did they? I just realised they didn't have a zombie film in the list. Um, well, Rex Rick, could yeah. sort of be classed as, I don't think it technically is, but it's a hard one because they're, they're normally, there are some great ones like Day of the Dead and some really funny ones. Have you ever seen Return of the Living Dead 2? But that's, that was, that would have, you know, that would have, that would go in the category of like comedy horror films that are really good but too funny to ever make a, a list of great horror films although you could say the homeless army in Prince of Darkness was sort of yeah that's true without their brains to a degree yeah but yeah zombie, I think zombies there's a slight sort of uh, thing of them not being that scary do you know what I mean yeah I don't think they ever land with me as much as other things like you know like a dream demon or someone in a mirror or you know there are things that I can in, I could that got get like got me when I watched them because I'm like I could see this happening zombies feels like almost too far removed same as like vampires werewolves that's why American Werewolf in London needed to be set in London and almost be very believable yes for it to work without it being too fantastical I like things that feel like this is very much possible in the you know it's not actually possible but it's not outside of your imagination. So if American Werewolf in Paris came before London, do you think you'd have been less? Definitely. I don't think... Well, that's, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, I'm basing it on the actual film, American Werewolf in Paris, which is crap. It's a terrible, terrible follow-up. Again, tried CGI, didn't they? Yeah. And it was early CGI when it was bad, and it just made it like a sort of crappy computer game cutaway scene. So, yeah. But it could have been good if, I, if it was made with the skill of... London, then yeah, I probably would have liked it. I daren't watch Terminator 2 back. Terminator 2? Yeah, I think that holds up pretty well. Does it? Yeah. Weird. I mean, it looks, even like the, the CGI looks way better than some of the newer ones because oh, wow. because they only used it when they needed to. You know, just the little bits with the T1000, T2000? 2000, isn't it? I can't remember. But can't um, remember. he, yeah, they only need the bits when he sort of does the little shape shifty thing. It's not like a CGI the rest of the film, you know, it's the rest so, of it's pretty standard. So it's not like when you went from the Nintendo to the Super Nintendo, you're like, Oh wow, look at the graphics. No, no, no. And then you go back all. to it five years later, you're like, that is dog shit. No, I think it, I think it holds up well, Terminator Two. As a film as well, I think it's really good. Nice. I'll go back and revisit that then quite yeah. happily. So if you um were to find yourself in a horror film type situation, do you have a crew of people who you'd be like, I I'd want them with me. Um, I'm, do you know what? I mean, obviously, I'm, I'd like my wife to accompany me wherever we go. But barring that, imagine she was murdered in the first wave. I'd go it alone. Never yeah. travel in groups. 
you're a bigger target. <laughs> that's, that's what I've learned in all my years of horror films. Go it alone. Just get out. Get out of there. Go find somewhere remote. Get on your own. Never be seen again. It's easy. Ninja style. Yeah. So, Carl, we're at that moment. We're, I need a drum roll or some kind of musical it, interlude in here. I'll add it in a post. I'll probably forget all about it or not be asked. Here's the number one, the number one, the number one. What is your top horror film? Um, it's probably a bit of a anticlimax. Uh, it's The Exorcist. One of the, in terms of like, you know, it's a bit of a, almost a hack. You know, oh, here we go. He's going to go for The Exorcist. But I think. This one is not because of how much I love the film, not because how great I think the film is. It's about all of it. It's um, it's about the first time I watched it. It's about times I watched it since. It's about probably it tapping into something from my childhood and going to church and things like that. Yeah, it's just got a lot. I think it's almost the perfect movie. And I remember the only I remember like Mark Kermode reckons it's the greatest film of all time, but I only found that out after I thought that. And the way I found it out, uh, in the sense of uh, basically what happened was it didn't get a UK release until, you know, it was banned, wasn't it? Yeah. So I never saw this when I was a kid. This wasn't one of the ones I've got a dodgy copy of, like The Burning, that was the uncut version. I just had never, ever seen The Exorcist. I'd only ever, as a horror fan, I just read about it as this mythical beast of the banned film. And then in, I think it was like 97 or 98... I could probably should probably Google this. Um, it got a UK release, and the first screening was at the BFI, and it was going to be introduced by Mark Kermode, and they were going to do a Q and A afterwards with William Friedkin, the director. And I just bought tickets. Me and two of my friends bought tickets. So the first time I ever watched it, it was on a massive screen in the BFI, and afterwards got to hear William Friedkin talk about it, and I just it scared the life out of me. And then. Yeah, it's just such a brilliant, scary film. And this again, it's that classic thing. It's in a very small location, basically in one room for most of the film. Yeah. And it's just... I think if you are raised in any religious sort of environment, this will tap into that sort of... old traditions of demons and... You know, yes, it's just all inside you. You can just imagine yourself being there. It's just it's classic good versus evil horror film, isn't it? And did you... Witness, uh, obviously, there's sort of 25 years of distance between it being released and you seeing it. So we've sort of moved on as a culture. But did you witness people in the screen in like fainting or having any of the hysteria no, that they had not first really. time around? Um, no, I'm trying to work out what year that would have been. I would have been. It might have even been nearer 2000 or 99. But um, no, I think you know people have moved on a lot. People had seen a lot since the when it came out. It would have been pretty brutal, wouldn't it? And also, we were still in probably an age where, you know, just Christianity was still much more rife in most people's lives in the UK. Yeah. Whereas, you know, it wasn't the full secular nation it was probably at the turn of the century. So I think there's probably, it just lands slightly different with people now. But for me, it just, yeah, I just, I, it, it, there's something, again, it might be the music. Again, yeah, such great music. It's also dark, you know, it's such a really, it's a really dark and broody film. And there's them little moments where you have them little snippets, you know, little flashes when you're watching it. It's almost like a subliminal scene. Yeah. And it's of that face. Bits like that just chipped away at me. <laughs> I was sitting in the screen 
couldn't believe what I was seeing. I just thought, you know, from the word go, I was on, I was in it from the word go, just got me. And then by the end, I felt like I'd been through a bloody exorcism. Do you know what I mean? I felt like I'd experienced everything that girl had gone through. And it's just real. It feels so real, even though it's obviously nonsense. You know what I mean? I don't know why. There's some. There's a real sense of like drama about it. The acting, the directing, and again, that's probably because the director came from. He'd done bloody the French Connection before this. It's such a brilliant thriller, and then he'd just gone. No, I'm going to do a bloody religious horror. And apparently, he treated the actors terribly on this film. I don't know if you've known any of the stories about. Like there's a scene when the the girl slaps the mother and she flies across the room. Um, to make it realistic, uh, William Friedkin said to the actress, "What's her name? Oh, I forgot the name of the mother's. Uh, anyway, he put a harness on her and he said, "Oh, when she slaps, what I'll do is I'll just pull you back a bit, just so it gives that illusion like you've been knocked back rather than you're pushing yourself back." Yeah. And uh, and she said, "Okay, cameras roll." Girl slaps it. He pulled her so hard back. I think she injured her back. Like he just properly threw her across the room. And he did things like that. There's a famous scene at the end when the priest, and this is a spoiler, the priest is down on the bottom of the stairs dying and the other priest is giving him the last rites. And apparently the, the, the actor on the floor was struggling to get the scene right. William Friedkin just lashed him across the face just before they took. So he was physically shaking while they were filming. Like he just abused the actors to make it, to give it that reality. So I think that all comes through on the film. That's the sort of thing that they definitely wouldn't get away with now. Absolutely not. And they shouldn't. I mean, it's not right, is it? You don't mistreat people. But I think the sad reality is it came out to our benefit because you got to see people on screen who looked like they were going through hell. And also, there's that mythology around this film of the curse of the exorcist. I think all that buys into it. And the fact that it was banned. By the time I saw it, I was all geared up to just love it. Yeah, you know, had so much going on around that everyone said, "Yeah, she really got um, possessed on set." And, you know, I just read all the mythology. So when I actually watched it, I was like, oh, "It's all real." Nine people died while making yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it's a real good early sort of example of when someone absolutely nailed the PR around it. Oh yeah. The whole mythology, you know, and even the the people fainting in the in the cinemas uh, someone apparently broke their jaw jaw <laughs> yeah fainted in the cinema broke their jaw and got a settlement out of court oh my god yeah it just had that you know it's got that effect it can really affect you and it, 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 this also goes back to that thing about how you know the jumpy films go out to affect everyone and make everyone jump but like this film I don't think has the impact on you know most people I think, I think anyone who watches it can tell how good a film it is because it's so well made. Yeah, anyone who likes good films will watch The Exorcist and go, that's great. I don't think it has the sort of terror factor or I don't think it gets them in sort of a very dark, deep place. Uh, a lot of people it will, but I don't think compared to, say, some horror films, it will scare more people in a different way. This one, I think, affects certain people deeply. And I feel like this, for me... Yeah, I think it's just growing up and going to Catholic schools and always having to sit in mass and hear hymns and listen to the Bible and all this sort of, you know, old Christian tradition. This film just taps into that and I think it just has a visceral effect on me. And yeah, I've probably only watched it, I reckon maybe, I say only, it's probably watched it ten times ever. So since that cinema, I've probably watched it once every couple of years. And it still has it. I still, I still struggle watching this on my own which most horror films I can still I can do on my own 
this one still I get nervous I'm about to put yeah. <laughs> you know it's just there's something about it and apparently it wouldn't have existed had the author uh, William Peter Blatty not gone on to a Groucho Marx show You Bet Your Life and won 10 grand apparently according to the internet Groucho Marx asked him what he planned to do with the money he said I'm going to take some time off work and make a novel and the wow. novel he made uh, resulted in The Exorcist finally get made amazing well, there we go we are also Groucho Marx and apparently he has a cameo or something I don't know so that is your top 10 list of horror films, Carl. Thank you very much for sharing it with us. Uh, your upcoming Edinburgh show is called... It's called Shall We All Just Kill Ourselves? <laughs> Absolutely unrelated Absolutely. to horror films. It's weird. It's an odd timing that I'm currently writing a new stand-up show called that. And we've just talked through my 10 favourite uh, horror and slasher films and all that. Because, um, yeah, it's more... My show is not about any of this stuff. It's more about the sort of current uh, times in which we live and how everyone is so defeatist or contrary online to each other and it's about trying to find some positivity in that world so yeah if you enjoyed this chat come and see it but there will be no discussion of horror or murder and where will people be able to see it? Um, they can see it at the Heroes at Spiegel Yurt at 7.40 every day at the festival apart from the 13th it's in a little special, it's in a round, it's in a little round tent, uh, which I saw a show in last year, and saw it and I was like, I need to do my show there. It's so cool and intimate, and yeah, I want it to be quite a intimate show, where we can probably, we have discussed how I like intimate settings for films, I've decided I want to try and do that in a stand-up show, where I'm not standing in front of them, looking at them in rows, I want them all around me so I can actually look into their eyes. <laughs> and see the fear and the <laughs> laughter. Laughter, but also I want to engage more. What is this show, I want it to try and be a sort of a group of a thing rather than just a bunch of strangers watching another stranger talk. I want to try and get them to feel like a sort of group. It's, it's an interesting one to write, I'll say that, but it's going to be fun and do you feel fear going into things like that of course if that's what I think it's really important to when you're writing a new show to put a few bits or ideas in it that challenge yourself to do something you might not have done before and that's what this show is all about I think I picked the venue purposely to throw myself out of my comfort zone and uh, and yeah now I am out of it and that's going to be exciting and people can also hear you on Two Vegan Idiots. They can. A podcast with Julian Dean where we don't we talk nonsense for an hour with a guest. There is no seriousness. Now and again we might cover a subject, but on the whole it tends to be me interviewing a guest and Julian diving in with slightly unacceptable asides. And any anything else you wanna get out there? I don't think so. I think that's all at the minute. That's all I'm working on. Edinburgh podcast, and I'm just gigging all around the country. If people want to see my dates, I normally whack them on Instagram at Carl Donnelly. Uh, I've got a website, but I've not listed my gigs on there for about two years. Just can't be bothered. Who goes on websites anymore? Websites, indeed. Yeah, it's just all, it's I, all I put, the socials, isn't it? Exactly. I put them on Twitter. I put them on Facebook. I put them on Instagram. So just go on there and carry on this facade of <laughs> existence. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> having moved everything online. Carl Donnelly, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers, man. Thanks again for your company. You can support the pod by rating and subscribing or donating on Patreon. 
follow at my top 10 pod on twitter and instagram and next time it's the lovely laughy predominantly la-based comic lisa curry